Thank you all very much, brothers. In more than one sense, they are brothers. They're my brothers. Spiritually, they are each other's brothers. Uh, if y'all don't know Adam and Tucker, uh, we really appreciate them singing for us this morning. Uh, what a beautiful song. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We are going to spend some time in 1 John as we have been just a couple more weeks before we finish up 1 John and then we'll turn our attention to Easter. Uh, but as we look in 1 John, we're going to spend some time looking at God's love uh, in this text before we come to the Lord's table together this morning. This morning we're going to see four things about God's love now. Those of you that have been at Mount Zion for the whole time that I've been here may have noticed a pattern usually whenever we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. Uh, we look at a text that, that pertains in some way to the Lord's Supper, uh, and then we observe the Lord's Supper together. But I usually make the sermon a bit shorter on that we're doing the Lord's Supper. And so some of y'all are thinking, how are we going to look at four different things about God's love and it still be shorter? I'm going to need y'all to listen faster than y'all normally listen. This morning, but I want us to see these things from this text because I don't want us to, to shorten our time in the text so much that we don't see what God's Word has for us to see and understand this morning before we come to the Lord's Supper. So we're going to see this. We're going to see how God's love is always seen in Christians. We'll see that. Christians, if you're a Christian, you will display God's love. We're going to see the second thing, how God's love gives us proof that we are saved. We're going to see how God's love keeps us from having to fear judgment. And we're going to see how God's love is the ultimate example of love. So how his love is always seen in Christians, how his love gives proof that we are saved, how his love keeps us from fearing judgment, and how his love is the ultimate example of love. This morning, I pray that we are in awe of God's love. How amazing it is, how amazing it is that he would love us, um, the expanses that it reaches. So look with me in 1 John chapter 4, we'll begin in verses 7 and 8. John said, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Now, I'm not going to spend too much time on this part of the text because this is something that we've seen John now. This is the third time in the book of 1 John that John has come back around to teaching about love. And specifically this beginning point that, that everyone that has been born of God loves, everyone that loves has been born of God. What John is telling us is here is that all Christians will love and specifically in this book he's told us several times that all Christians will love all other Christians because you might read that and say well John says whoever loves has been born of God well I've heard lost people say I love you so something is missing but John is talking here about the love of God that that people that have a true love, an unconditional love, the love of God, people that display the love of God, that only happens in people that have been born of God. That happens only in people that have been regenerate, right? People that have faith in Christ, that have a new heart, that have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit inside of us. But the teaching here is that if you 
are one of those people. If you are a Christian, you will love all other Christians. And then in verse 8, the converse of that, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if you do not love in the way that John has been teaching, if you do not love all other Christians, then you know that you've not been born of God. You know that you are not saved. So point one, all Christians will love all other Christians. We've seen John teach this at length. If you have not been with us for that, the old sermons are available online. I would uh, direct you to those. But this morning, I do want us to continue. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11 at the end of the message this morning. That's where we're really going to concentrate on Jesus' sacrifice in our place before we come to the Lord's Supper. So pick up with me now in verse 12. It says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. Now, in this text that we're looking at today, you may have already noticed, it seems a little bit wordy. John is talking, and he's talking, the main theme is God's love, but he talks about God's love in several different ways in this small, in this short passage. He talks about a lot of different things, so I'm going to try in a brief time period to help us unscramble the things that we see him talking about here to make sure that these make sense. One of the first things that we might would want to grasp hold of and ask some questions about is that first statement in verse 12. No one has ever seen God. And I was prepared this morning to explain to you because the word that John uses for seen there is a different word than what you might say. Well, Moses was able to catch a glimpse of God. That's not the word. You might say, well, Isaiah was able to see the throne room of God. It's not the word that John uses here. It's not catching a glimpse, but I'm not going to spend time because that's not the main point that John's making in verse 12. He's giving that to you as a fact. Believe that. If you have more questions, ask me about it afterward. But he's telling you, no one has seen God. God is invisible to us, right? We can agree about that. You don't look around. We know God is here, but we don't see God in physical presence. God is unseen. God is invisible to us. And so he's using that to teach us or call us to do something. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. God, John is using the fact that we can't see God physically to emphasize how important it is that we love one another. You see, since God cannot be seen... It should be all the more important that we allow God's character to be seen through those of us that belong to God. We can't see God physically, so we need to show God. We need to display God to one another. We need to make sure that we see the love of God in each other, even if we can't see God physically himself. I would liken this, in my mind, this is a good analogy of this. Some of you have been through this before. I see this a lot of times. Y'all know that uh, I've had the opportunity to walk with many families through the loss of a loved one, specifically many that have lost parents. And one thing that I see often is that there will be siblings 
grown siblings, and these siblings, right? You love one, you love your brothers and sisters. I hope you love your brothers and sisters. I hope you love all your brothers. We just talked about that a minute ago, spiritually speaking. But you know, a lot of times, whenever you lose your parents, it's like you make an extra emphasis to try and spend more time with your brothers or sisters. You try and check on them more often. You try and get together with them more often. You already loved your brother. You already loved your sister. But now that your parents are gone and they aren't here, there's this extra emphasis. You feel like it's even more important that you show that love to your siblings. I think that's a bit of what John is speaking about here. We're supposed to love one another anyways. Right? It's important that Christians love one another anyways. He's already made that clear. But then here he's, like, he's putting even more emphasis. Brothers and sisters, since we can't see God physically, it's even more important that we should love one another. If we do that, here's the proof. Here's how God's love gives us proof that we're saved. The second thing I want to show you, verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So that word that he uses, abides, God remains in us. Right? We talked about that. That's one way that John says we're Christians, we're saved. If we love one another, then we know that we're saved. In verse 13, he gives us more proof how we can know we're saved. By this we know that we abide in him, another word for being saved. This is how we know we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Do you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? If you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, that is a seal of the covenant of God. That is a promise. That is a way that you can know for certain that you are saved. He gives another one in verse 14. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So... The other thing that we see, another proof of God living in you and you remaining in God is what you confess about Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came to be the Savior of the world? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you confess, do you agree with what the Bible teaches about Jesus? If you do, verse 15 says, then God abides in you and you abide in God. You are saved. So here we see many different proofs that John gives us to know whether we're saved. Do you love other Christians? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you confess the truth about Jesus Christ? Do you agree with what the Bible says about Jesus Christ? If you do, then you know that you were saved. I'm thankful of those of you that saw the newsletter this week. I've talked about this many times. I'm thankful that John gives us over and over and over in this book ways that we can know for sure that we are saved. We saw a few weeks ago in 1 John that our hearts can often lie to us. Our emotions can make us feel inadequate. Other people can make us think, our past can make us think that there's no way that God would ever love us, that there's no way that God would ever allow us to be His children, that He would give us eternal life. But John tells us over and over and over, if you this, then you know you're a Christian. If you this, then you know you're a Christian. Point two this morning. God gives us many proofs that we are His. Love for one another being one of those proofs. The Holy Spirit 
being another. The fact that we confess Jesus as the Son of God being another. So we've seen there how love, God's love, is always seen in other Christians, right? Christians love one another. We've seen how God's love gives us proof that we are saved because if we have that love inside of us, we know that we're saved. All right, the third thing I want to see, how God's love keeps us from fearing judgment, which is one we like to talk about, right? Y'all like to not have to fear judgment? Y'all like to not have to be worried about punishment? I know I do. Look at the text with me. Verse 16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. John here, again, I know this sounds wordy, but the, the thing, the point that he's making is clear enough, and it's beautiful enough. So he says in verse 16, we, we believe, we've come to trust and rely on God's love, right? God's love is what has saved us. God's love is what has made us who we are. God's love makes us, causes us, compels us to love one another. We rely on God's love. We could not save ourselves, we could not be saved on our own. We trust in God's love. It's enough. God's love is enough to save us. We rely on it. We trust in it. And so then in verse 17, he makes this beautiful point, gives us this beautiful reassurance. By this is love perfected, or by this is love completed with us. God's love through Jesus Christ, Jesus' sacrifice in our place makes us perfect. It makes us complete so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Now, doesn't that sound good, brothers and sisters? If you know the love of God through Jesus Christ, if you love one another, right? If you have all of these certainties, these things that make you certain that you are Christian, if you have faith and your faith has brought about all these other things, then you know you can have confidence. You can be bold. You can be ready for the day of judgment. You don't have to fear, right? That's one of the beautiful things about being a Christian is I know that God, that Jesus could return at any time, right? I know that he is going to return at some time. And when he returns, I'm not going to have to be scared, I'm not going to have to be worried. I'm not going to, to be sent to hell forever. I know that on that day, I'm going to be excited. I'm going to be joyful. All of the worries, all of the things that we've dealt with here, those things are going to be gone. We don't have to, as he talks about in verse 18, we don't have to fear. There's no fear in love. Perfect love, God's love, perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, you have no reason to fear. You have no reason to be worried about the day of judgment. Why? Because of God's love. God's love that has made you whole and complete 
and perfect and giving you everything that you need to be ready for the return of Christ. Point three this morning, God's love frees us from fear of judgment. His love makes us free from fear, sets us free from punishment, so we don't have to worry about the judgment that's coming. Now I want you to turn back with me to verse 9. Because I want us to spend the last few minutes looking in this text at verses 9 through 11. This is where we see this idea that, that God's love is the perfect example of love. That God's love is the ultimate example of love. You want to know what love really looks like. Don't read a novel. Read the Bible. Look at Jesus' life. Look at Jesus' death. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Beautiful Beautiful verses. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. He says, you want to know what God's love looks like. This is how God displayed or made clear His love among us. You want to know how we can see. We don't think of love as necessarily something you can see. It's something you do. He says, you want to see God's love. This is how it was made visible. This is how it was made manifest in verse 9. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. That's a picture of God's love. He says, you want to know what God's love looks like? Take a bunch of rebellious, sinful, evil, wicked people. Now, let's be clear. I'm not just talking about people out there. Right? I'm not just talking about... Uh, drug dealers or people that are in, in prison for felony things. I'm not just talking about drug lords all around the world, right? When I say wicked, rebellious, sinful, evil people, I mean you and me before we became Christians, right? Take a bunch of wicked people, a bunch of sinful, selfish people that don't care about God, take a bunch of those, and then picture God sending His only Son to die for those people who didn't love God, who didn't care about God, who weren't asking God to save them, who were, were in their sin and so dead in their sin that they just lived and enjoyed living in sin. And God sending His only Son to be, John's word, the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice for their sins. And there you have a picture of God's love. What does God's love look like that He would send His only Son to die a terrible, gruesome death, taking the punishment for all of the sins of the evil and wicked people so that they could live? He died so we could live. There's the picture of God's love. We didn't deserve it. We could never deserve it. You take the very best one of us, and they're a long way from ever deserving God's love, that God would do this for them. But He did it. Jesus, who is God, leaves heaven, comes here and lives a perfect life. Because none of us did. We all messed up. So he lives the perfect life that we didn't live. And then he dies 
And all of the punishment for your sins and my sins, right? The pain of the cross wasn't just being crucified. Now, imagine having spikes driven through your wrists and ankles is extremely painful. Imagine being whipped is extremely painful. Emotionally, having your back turned on you by your friends and being spit on and made fun of is painful. Those were not the most painful things on the cross, but Jesus took the wrath of God, the punishment of God that we should experience in hell. He took that punishment for our sins while he was on the cross so that when we have faith in him, we don't have to experience that punishment. Right? There, there's the greatest pain. Jesus paid the price for our sins. He took God's punishment. Not just the punishment of the Romans. He took the punishment of God. For every single sin that we've committed while he was on the cross. There is the picture of God's love. This is how God's love was made manifest among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Point four. We know love only because of Christ. If it weren't for Jesus Christ, we would not have seen a true display of love like this. If it were not for Jesus Christ, we would still be dead, sinners, wicked, evil people. If it were not for him, we would not love one another. Brothers and sisters, everything that we know about love doesn't come from mama, doesn't come from daddy comes from Jesus. This morning we're going to celebrate that love. Now it sounds like we're ending here on a dreary note. But Zach, aren't you supposed to lift us up? We're ending talking about Jesus dying on the cross, terrible, gruesome death, the wrath of God. Is that really how we're going to end this morning? It is because we're going to come before the Lord's table and I want us to be mindful Let's be mindful of what the price that Jesus paid. That, that although this is bread and juice, it represents something much greater than bread and juice, brothers and sisters. This is a picture of Jesus' body and his blood that he gave up for us so that we could live, so that we could be saved. Now, yes, don't forget Easter is next month and he didn't stay dead Right? He was resurrected. He is alive today. He is victorious. Don't think that that's the end of the story. But today, brothers and sisters, we are thanking him for dying in our place. We do this in remembrance of him. And so I want us to remember him. Remember what he did. But before we do, we are going to have a time of invitation. Because there may be someone here that this is the first time that you have understood the importance of Jesus' death like this. This may be the first time that you, have, that you have recognized your need for Christ. The first time that you have felt called to give your life and faith to Jesus Christ. We want you to have the opportunity to do that. If you have questions about anything I've said this morning, I want you to use this time to come and ask me those questions. Or this morning, if you just need some time to spend in personal reflection, praying or singing, thanking God or asking God about some things. I want you to have time to do that. So I want to invite you to stand this morning. And before we come to the Lord's table together, we're going to have a, a time of response. And you can come and talk to me. 
or I would love to pray with you. You can pray at these altars here. You can pray where you are. You can sing where you are. But I want us to spend some time reflecting and thanking the Lord individually before we come and do that corporately. So Brother Shane's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation, and you do what the Lord leads you to as he leads us.